Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come together to study your word, to learn about you. Lord, you are so great and mighty and glorious. And Lord, I just pray that we would that we would see that. Uh, that our hearts would burn with desire for you, with uh, with a great love for who you are. And Lord, just that that this study would just change our lives, that it would cause us to to be focused on you as the most precious thing, and that that our lives would represent that in the, in the way we speak, the way we live. Uh, and Lord, just that you would Lord, that you would conform us to the image of Christ, that we would become more like you. And Lord, just that you would be glorified in all things. I guess thanks in Christ's name. Alright. So, we're starting a study on the attributes of God. Um... So to start, First um, Peter two nine says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light." That's a a good place to start there. Um, that talks about the excellencies of God and that we are to proclaim them. Of course, to proclaim them, we have to know them. Um, so, got some introductory things to cover. Um, I mean, this 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 stuff should be fairly self-contained so that any week you show up, you're fine, but I figure I might as well do some introductory stuff um, this time anyway, even if people who show up later don't have the benefit of it. So, uh, first thing, this is this is intended to be an interactive class. Um, I will be asking questions. Won't be, you know, pointing anybody out, but I'll I'll ask questions and see if anybody wants to take a stab at it. And you are welcome to ask questions. So just just uh, jump in. Um, if you have a question about something, if you need clarification or anything like that. So I'm going to start with a question for you guys. What is an attribute? We're talking about the attributes of God. What does that mean? Characteristic. Characteristic. Okay. Yeah. It tells you something about the about the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tells you something about the person. That's exactly right. Yeah. I I have. Uh, it's a quality or characteristic that is true about a person. So. Yeah. So that's that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about things about God, things that are true about God, characteristics of God, or excellencies, as Peter calls them. Um. So why should we want to know more about God? Because he's one that created us. That is true. That is true. There's actually lots of answers to this. So yeah. Well, we just read so that we can proclaim who he is. That's exactly right. <laughs> so we can proclaim it to others. Well, we're made in God's image, mm-hmm. and we want to be Christ-like. Mm-hmm. So the only way to be Christ-like is to know who He is, and yeah, yeah, be holy. Yeah, that's a that's a, I mean that's a really good one. That like we the more we learn about God, and then we look at ourselves, we know ourselves better when we compare ourselves to God. 
we see how far short we fall of who we should be as we compare ourselves to God. So, yeah, that's a good point. Anything else? It helps us in our worship. It helps us in our worship. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to worship somebody you don't know. Yes. No? Anything else? Helps us in our weaknesses, too. With what? Helps us in our weaknesses, too. Yeah. Okay. You know, some people say, I'm high on mercy, I'm high on love, or on compassion, or I'm not very big on mercy, but God is, He's a, He's a all holy, He's He's 100% of every one of His attributes, and none of them characteristics or don't agree with the other. Mm-hmm. They all, you know, He's all complement each other. Yes. So if you're low on one, that means you need to work on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Well, I, I, I do think that is, we sort of serve who we love. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I think as we know who God is, we love Him more. Mm-hmm. I think that enables us to fight against sin and the things that ensnare us as well. Yeah. But I think oftentimes we don't love God more because we don't really know Him. Right. So. right. Yeah. Knowing God better helps us to love Him better. Yeah. Love Him more. Accurately, love him as he yeah. is. Um, some more things that I have written down here that you guys haven't mentioned. Um, trust him when we're in unpleasant circumstances. Unpleasant circumstances, and, and you know the character of God, um, that helps you to trust him. Um, and similarly, to trust him when you're anxious about the future. When you when you are worried that something is going to happen um, that is unpleasant, um, if you know the character of God, that's a great benefit. I mean, I know that like in your in your family, you're going through certain circumstances where the future is unknown, and um, and I could tell just from the the email you sent out, you know, that the character of God is uh, is very important to you in that. So that's another reason to to study the attributes of God. So, lots of good reasons to do this. So, um, it's not just a you know academic exercise. We can, you know make this long list of things that we know about God. And, you know, show off how smart we are. It's, there's lots of very good uses for this. Um, there is a danger uh, of pride in studying God, and so I think it's it's worth uh, mentioning that briefly here. Um, some people, um, and I, I think I've noticed this more in reform circles than others, unfortunately, uh, some people uh, learning about God um, is a way that you can win arguments. And you can feel smart because you can you can defeat people who, um, who don't know as much as you. Uh, that is not uh, why we study theology, that's not why we learn the attributes of God. We do it to defend the truth. People attack the character of God. We do need to be able to argue and defend the truth. But it's not just for the sake of winning arguments and showing people that we're smart. Um, Nor is it to laugh at those who are ignorant. I've seen that as well, where if somebody's ignorant about God, they have wrong views of God, um, it becomes a joke. Um, 
Um, it's ha ha ha, how stupid are they? Um, and that should not be our attitude. Um, our attitude rather should be for anybody that we see that is ignorant about who God is, that we should want to teach them. That's something we should be proclaiming his excellencies, um, not uh, making fun of people who are, who are ignorant. Um, all of us are, to some degree or another, ignorant of God. And so um, we, need to, we need to have mercy in that respect and realize that um, it's only by God's grace that we know what we know. And to have a desire to, um, to share with other people, um, not share so that's the introductory stuff. Any any questions on any of that before we before we dive in? No. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about the knowability of God. Seems like a, a really good place to start because we're going to be talking about you know learning God's attributes and knowing God. Um, so um, in a sense, one of God's attributes is his knowability, and it's it's very important that we understand it. Um, Matthew. Chapter 11, verses 25 and 30, and I'm not just for time's sake. I'm just gonna just like jump right into these and not necessarily wait for you guys to find them because we will be at times looking at lots of passages of scripture. So you can jot them down or you can try to keep up with me however you want to do it. Matthew 25, Matthew 11, uh, 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth." that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Come to me, all who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, that you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here, we see Jesus talking about knowledge of God. And what do we see here? What does he say about that? Well, God is the one that reveals himself to people, but he also can hide himself from people as well or, or not reveal himself to others. Mm-hmm. So knowledge of God comes through revelation. Yeah. Anything else? Can we say from this passage that God is knowable? Mm-hmm. And not just knowable, but it specifically, he reveals himself to little children. It's it's knowable even from a young age. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure that that's necessarily his point, um, because it seems like the contrast he's making is between how does he word it? Um, Hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Um, so I think that the contrast is people who are really smart and are figuring things out on their own. I think, I think that's really the contrast. That's there. Um, and that he's revealing it to people who they, they really couldn't figure it out on their own. Um, I mean, the, the wise and learned would 
you know, they can't figure it out on their own either, but they, they don't really see that. So, um, but Jesus is actually praising God that he is revealing himself to those who are really helpless to learn about God on their own. Um, and that's what, that's what God is pleased to do. Now, there are um, two major errors um, that people can make when it comes to basically the knowability of God. Um, and we need, to, we need to avoid both of those things. So one of them is that we can know God exhaustively. Um, Psalm 145, verse 3, it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Um, another passage, Romans 11, 33-36, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become, who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so we see that God really is far greater than any of us could possibly understand. Um, any notion that we can have an exhaustive knowledge of who God is is a mistake. But there's a, an equally dangerous error on the other side that I have encountered. I'm not sure I've ever actually met anybody that thinks that we can exhaustively know God. Um, but I've, I've met other people that kind of dabble in the other side of it. And that's basically that we can't really know God. Um, and oftentimes they will appeal to passages like this that talk about what you might call the incomprehensibility of God. The fact that God is, um, is just so far beyond us. Um, and people will say, oh, we just, God is so great we can't even begin to understand him. You know, and sometimes people, I think, they're just not being very precise in their language when they say that, that we can't even begin to understand them, understand him. Um, but sometimes they really do mean, like, yeah, we really can't know anything true about God. Um, and that's a very dangerous thing as well. Um, I mean, the Bible just becomes uh, pretty hopeless if you can't know anything about God. Jesus is very clear that um, God reveals himself to people, right? Um, one of the things that, um, that I hear people say, um, and I'm sure you guys have heard this, this phrase, it's uh, don't put God in a box. Um, I think that that phrase can be understood in a way that's good, but I am certain that at least 90% of the times that I've heard somebody say, don't put God in a box, they mean it in a very bad way. What they mean is, yeah, you just said something about God that I don't agree with, and rather than me going to scripture and trying to uh, show you that you're wrong or try to figure out what God is like, it's like, oh, no, no, you can't say X about God because that's putting God in a box. Um, if by don't put God in a box we mean, you know, don't make him where we can understand him fully. Okay, I, yeah, I understand that. We, we, can't, we can't know God exhaustively. Um, but God has revealed a lot about himself in Scripture. 
uh, more than I would say any mortal man is able to discover in a lifetime. No matter how much you study scripture, you're never going to get it all. Um, but I definitely have encountered um, people who, anytime you start trying to, you know, especially, you know, some of the more uncomfortable things about God, you start trying to talk about those things, uh, that'll be the reaction. You know, don't, don't put God in a box. Um, you start talking about, you know, divine election. It's like, well, you know, don't put God in a box. You can't know that stuff. It's like, well, the scripture reveals it, so we can. So we need to avoid the error of thinking that we can get it all down. We need to be humble and realize it's like, no matter how much we learn about God, there's still going to be more. And I think most of you probably can testify that the more you've learned about God, the more you realize, wow, there's really, <laughs> there's really a lot more. This, there's, there's more that I don't know that I didn't even realize before that I didn't know. Um, but we also want to be careful um, that we allow God's revelation to speak to us about who God is. And um, we don't ever use his, his incomprehensibility as an excuse to avoid what Scripture says about God. Is that clear? Is that... And that's something that I, I think is really important, and I hope I've communicated it clearly. Everybody, everybody on the same page there? Um, as I was preparing this, I, I, I thought about a, a song that I encountered when I was a pretty young Christian, um, and it's just always kind of stuck with me as, as um, picturing some, some really good things. Um, so I wanted to share just a little bit of it. It's called Stones and Sea. Um, it's uh, by Eden's Bridge, um, and the the song begins. It's a, it's kind of a it's kind of an analogy, a picture type thing, um, maybe allegory. Um, and the song begins with the with the singer um, on the beach, uh, going around on the beach and finding pretty stones, and just obsessed with all these uh, precious stones that she finds on the beach, um, and. And, and the verses end with the sea, you know, is, is roaring the whole time. But she's not really paying attention to it. And then it gets to a verse that says, And the wind rose, east and cold, whispering sweetly to my soul. And it said, Look, you fool, you're missing precious things. Raise your eyes and look towards the sea. So I looked. It was as if I saw the sea for the first time, and its power captured me. All the time I had wasted seeking stones, I had missed the rolling glory of the sea. And there, I mean, I think is a picture of what we often do in our lives. Um, there are lots of things in this life that are that are not not necessarily bad things. They're they're good things. They're good things that God has created for us to enjoy. Um, but a lot of times we can just become so distracted with those things that we miss the truly precious thing. Um, and, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, it's a good reminder of what is truly important. And hopefully, um, as we study the attributes of God, um, coming to know God more, um, it will just, you know, put in your heart a, a desire to make that first. Another thing is, the song, the song goes on, the, the final verse, um, is kind of a warning about um, not thinking you can go too far and not thinking that you can make God be who you want him to be. 
um, because that's a that's another important thing is is that um, a lot of times you will hear people say, well, I like to think of God this way, um, and that's that's always a dangerous thing when people say that. It's because they have ideas of what they would like God to be like, and so they just choose to believe God is that way. Um, but we need to believe that God is how he reveals himself to be. Um, and so the final verse of this song, um, it, it, it portrays that idea. Um, and so she sings, And it stole me, and I feared the aching sea. It consumed me, drowned my mind. The wind said, Look, you fool, no matter what you do, you can't contain the ocean like a stone. So, anyway... For me, that was a that was a, a really um, a song that really like struck me in some of the truths that are contained in it. So that's something that we should remember: is that we we can't contain God. Um, he is who He is, um, and as we study Him, as we learn from Scripture, um, we the things that we're going to know about God are the things that He has revealed, and. We're not allowed to change that. Um, it really is very important that Scripture be um, the thing that we use to determine who God is. Um, you can learn things about God from creation. Uh, God is very clear that He is revealed in creation. Uh, Romans 1 talks about that. Uh, but there's a limit to how much you can actually learn from that. Um, the, the special revelation in Scripture, that is where we get... The, the clearest and most direct information about who God is. Um, and that needs to be our, um, our source of revelation. And it also needs to be our limit of, res- of revelation, of, of our knowledge of God. Um, one thing that often happens is that people like to start speculating about um, things that the Bible doesn't say about God. Um, that's a very dangerous thing. Um, it's very important as we study who God is um, that we limit ourselves to what Scripture says. Um, saying things that is, you know, like, oh, well, maybe God is like this, um, you know, and then it's like, well, how do you know that? It's like, well, can you prove it's wrong? That's that's not that's not the appropriate way to do it. So we need to try to limit ourselves to what Scripture says and not speculate, because that is a very dangerous thing, and you can get all sorts of wrong ideas about who God is. Um, but we need to be diligent and study and try to learn as much as we can about who God is. Another thing that I meant to mention earlier and failed to do is that this will be a sampling of the attributes of God. Um, we, we're not going to cover everything. There's, there's just no way. Um, so I apologize if I missed something that you wanted to, you wanted covered. Um, you can always jump in and bring it up. And uh, something that I don't remember if it was, I don't remember which of you said it, but one of you said something about that. You know, that God's attributes all work in harmony. Um, that's a, that's another important point that we should have. Is that. Um, you know, God's attributes all work together. They're never, they're never in conflict with each other. Um, the it's, it, in fact, it's it's going to be a little bit difficult when we're when we're focusing on each one to like stay on that one. It's 
speaking of the attributes of God systematically can be difficult just because the attributes of God interact with each other so much. So, anyway, sorry for jumping back into introduction in the middle of discussing uh, the knowability of God. So is all that clear on the on the knowability of God? Okay. Well, it's very important. Um, and it's something we should definitely desire. Um, well, now let's talk about the fact that God is a spirit. Um, that's a... Uh, I say, does anybody anybody know uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism question? What is God? Know that one? God is a spirit, mortal, invisible, and nobody's, nobody's got it down exact. Okay, that's fine. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness. And I think that's it. Yes. Um, so what's, it starts off with the God is spirit, right? So what does that mean? What does it mean that God is spirit? He doesn't have a body like we have. He doesn't have a body like we have. Mm-hmm. And Jesus does. Yes. Well, that's a that's a good question. How does that how does that relate to the to the incarnation? When we say that God is spirit, but Jesus had a body. How does that work? Any thoughts? One part of that is I think he doesn't have a body like we have. He has a spiritual, you know, body. Um, yeah. Okay. He says he took on flesh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in his in his essence, in his nature, he's he's pure spirit. But it's only in the incarnation he added a human nature, which includes a body, uh, to himself. Um, Christ isn't contained in time and space either. Right. That is true. I mean, he has already been mm-hmm. and has been mm-hmm. all at the same time. Right. And we can't, we can't fathom right. it. Well, we know that when he went to uh, Nathaniel, when he said, I see him underneath the fig tree, mm-hmm. well, Christ seen him underneath the fig tree, and have wasn't even there, mm-hmm. and yet he's in a body. Mm-hmm. So right. the question is, how did that happen? Right. Well, there's no time right. limit to right. Yeah, the the uh, the the details of the incarnation are definitely very mysterious because you have the infinite God who is, as you know, we'll talk about you know things like you know being everywhere present and knowing everything, and but yet you have Jesus existing in a limited form so it's like how is he how, how is he God and you know and a, a limited human at the same time and there's there's definitely some mystery to that but when we talk about the divine essence um, clearly God is spirit and there's nothing there's nothing inherent in God that is anything physical at all um, so in Psalm 98.1, when it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. What does that mean? Does God have a, have a hand? Does he have a right arm? That is the purpose of the whole creation. 
to make salvation possible for sinful men. Okay. And with the different physicists, natural physicists, you know, and pretty well understanding how big the universe is and the cosmos is, and God is outside of that. Yeah, it is mind-boggling. There's as many stars in the, in the heavens as there are grains of sand on planet Earth. That's, if that doesn't dwarf you, I don't know what, what right. will. Right, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, and I think when he refers to like his holy arm, uh-huh. it's not that God literally has an arm, but he's putting that in a language that we can understand, mm-hmm. you know, to, to help us fathom. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that is, that is exactly right. Um, it's it's language intended to show us, you know, it's, it's, it's just a picture of, of strength, of power. Um, and so... We, we definitely need to be careful that we don't look at passages like that and say, oh, well, you know, God has an arm. Because um, that's that's not the case. Um, does anybody know what what uh, religious uh, perspective would get that one wrong? There are some that would say that, oh, no, he physically has an arm, and they would appeal to passages like this. It's okay. God in everything. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that God is at that point. God is basically the world is God. So everything that is physical is God. Um, but I'm actually thinking of something different, where God would actually have an arm like a man. Anybody knows? In Mormonism. Yeah. In Mormonism, God has a physical body. So, but they have all sorts of wrong ideas about God. So. What's that? I, I said we are going to be God one of these days. Yeah, I, according according to them, I mean it, it it goes to the point that that God actually didn't wasn't always God. That at one point he was a man, and earned the state of being a god. And you know, and if you're a good enough Mormon, then you can become a god too. So um, definitely a very wrong view of of uh, of who God is. So so yes, obviously God does not have. Um, not have an arm or a hand or anything like that. <clears throat> um, so what else does it mean that God is spirit? He doesn't have a physical body. Is there anything else? So he's not material at all. Can he be seen? If he chooses to be. If he chooses to be, okay. But in his, in his essence. Right. Now he's invisible, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a part of, of not being a physical being. Um, he is invisible. He has no physical dimensions, no mass or weight. Um, he's completely immaterial. Um... Colossians 1.15 speaking of Jesus it says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation and John 1.18 says no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known so there we see that God in his essence is invisible People, people don't see him people can't see him 
But what else do we see in, in both of those passages? How does Jesus relate to that, specifically in the Incarnation? He's revealing the invisible God to us, right? I mean, that's that's an idea that you see in both of those passages. Um, he's the image of, of the invisible God to us. Um, he is the one who has made the, the invisible God known to us. So God is invisible. Um, and he's immaterial. What are some implications of that? I mean, is that just a, a nice um, theological bit of information we can you know, write down in our notebooks? It's like, okay, God's invisible. God's God's immaterial. Or does it have does it have any uh, significance? Any impact on anything we do? television show from like 50s and 60s in the Twilight Zone that exercised people's imaginations. We're confined to three or four different dimensions. And God operates in about nine to ten different dimensions. That talk about invisible. I mean, it's, it's, okay. It's, uh, we can begin to, to grasp that. Right. Yeah, and I think it also informs our worship. Okay. You know, as we think about, we don't uh, we don't have images of God. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't even use images of God in, in teaching in Sunday school and mm-hmm. things like that. So as not to misrepresent Him in some way, because you know, if you if you begin to put Him in bodily form, mm-hmm. then you begin to interpret His character in a certain way and eliminate other uh, characteristics of who God is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's just important to be careful right. I know in terms of that so right. it's not to dishonor him right yeah no, that is that is very true um, that um, the fact that God is is immaterial and invisible definitely should inform our worship and the, the Bible is actually really explicit about that I mean what you said is, is great and I'm thinking of uh, something that that uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 4 he says therefore starting in verse 15 he says therefore Watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves, in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and moon and stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away to bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. So there, um, Moses is very specifically drawing on the fact that they didn't see a form of God as a, as a basis for you don't make an image of God. Because that's not that's not who he is. Anytime you make an image of God, you're going to be distorting who the true God is. Um, and so, to have true worship, um, we should remember that God is 
He's a spirit. He is immaterial. He's invisible. That's what separated the worship of Yahweh from all the other ancient religions. All of them have worshipped the fish, the cow, or whatever. They all had images of their God. They were those were false images. Mm-hmm. Yahweh made it quite clear. You know, I don't, I don't have a body. Right. And you think about what the the Israelites did when Moses was up on the mountain. Um, even though it had already been made very clear to them, you know, that God doesn't have a body, a form like that, what did they do? They made themselves a golden calf, right? And they didn't say, oh, well, yeah, we've decided to worship some other God. They're like, oh, well, yeah, this is, this is, this is the Lord our God who has brought us out of the land of Egypt. You know, they, they actually just, you know, made an idol and, and tried to ascribe the true God to that idol. Um, how was how did God react to that? It did not end well. Yeah, <laughs> it did not end well. No. So that's that's something that's very serious. Um, we need to to understand that God is God is spirit. God uh, does not have a physical form. Um, I know that. Um, one time I, I, I was listening to somebody teach on this and they and they you know they were even talking about just like um, when they pray that like sometimes there's a temptation as they're praying to God to like kind of like you know make some kind of image in their head uh, you know whether it's a you know an old man or whether it's a shimmer of light or you know whatever it is um, and basically any of those things are, are a form of idolatry they're uh, ascribing to God some kind of physical form that he doesn't actually have. Um, so um, if we are to um, worship God aright, uh, we should remember this. Um, John 4:24. Jesus, speaking to the Samaritan woman, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So that's a very important thing. What do you think Jesus means when he says that they must worship in spirit and truth? Okay, that goes in the bottom. Any thoughts? Well, truth, uh, uh-huh. that would be the easier one to okay. tackle first, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to take it. Okay. <laughs> so honestly, <laughs> Pastor Frank, you got some excellent. Um, so truth, obviously, when you're worshiping God, we have to worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. Um, you look at Israel and a lot of the judgments that the prophets stated pointed to the worship. Mm-hmm. When we think of all the other sins that we see that Israelite did, but a lot of it was based on how they worshiped God mm-hmm. and a lot of the judgment. So when we worship God, if it's not in Scripture, God tells us how He wants to be worshipped. And that's the only way we can really worship God. You can't just create another means to worship God. Mm-hmm. Um, so he needs to be worshipped. 
obviously in truth and help. God says we worship. We also worship Him. We don't contradict, you know, God in any way, obviously. You know, the whole idea of that, He's knowing that, He's God. We don't want to make Him sound like He's just a loving God. Right. You know, we also remember that He's angry God. Mm-hmm. We don't understand how, but He's also a loving, angry God. Mm-hmm. And an angry, loving God. Mm-hmm. And so we don't separate the two. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. So we worship Him in truth, and, and that's in our worship and our teaching and everything that we do. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's it's, it's like the what I mentioned before, you know, where people say, well, I like to think of God, you know, this way. It's, that's not that's not worshiping God in truth, right? That's because that's usually is something like, you know, saying, oh yeah, God's a loving God, but not, but rejecting the idea that He is ever angry at sinners. Um, so it's it's picking the attributes of God that we like, um, and yeah, that would not be worshiping God in truth. So that's good. And worship of God has, of course, changed over the centuries. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel comfortable in a church that do Gregorian chants, you know, for most of their mm-hmm. most of their worship time. Uh-huh. And then, and then back when the piano and organs were first first invented, you know, the church didn't like those. They, uh-huh. they thought they were very worldly. It's changed over over the centuries. Mm-hmm. We, we try our best. Right. Still we fail. Right. Much of the time we fail. Yeah. Yeah, when you start delving into the, the issues of the of the regulative principle of worship, I mean I think it's the principle that everybody would well, not everybody, but at least <coughs> at least most reformed people would would agree is um, is an important principle that we should all follow. But the practical outworkings of exactly how we apply the regulative principle of worship can definitely be difficult. So, yeah, when it comes to you know what musical in- instruments you use and stuff like that, there's obviously debates about that. But the the important thing is um, that we do attempt to worship God as He has commanded us to worship Him. Of worshiping in spirit and in truth, it's not only being guided by an intellectual knowledge, but He has changed our whole demeanor, and we are made in His image. So we therefore still have this, we can have the same range of emotions, mm-hmm. and so it's our whole being. Yes, it's not just our minds in which to worship. That is true. That is true. Yeah. And there's a sense in which He defines what He means by spirit, because He says in John 4:24. God is spirit, mm-hmm. so worship Him in spirit and truth. So worship Him as a spirit. Okay. Yeah. So can you flesh out what you mean by that? Um. Well, I mean it's it's a lot of the things that we've already talked about, you know, in, in terms of um, be careful that we worship Him as He has defined because of. His being and his essence and, and who he is mm-hmm. and stuff and not uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what you're oh, that's, looking that's, for. That's good. So. that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I think of is you know part of worship. You know we worship with scripture. Mm-hmm. And we know scripture is God breathed. And when we think of spirit, one of the description is the breath, the pneuma. So when we worship, we worship in 
with God's word. So in some sense, we all work with the revelation that the Holy Spirit has given to us mm-hmm. and how we worship Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly, certainly, if we're, if we're going to worship in spirit and truth, a large part of that is, it's like, we have the, the spirit, given. just to re- restate what you just said, we have the spirit-given scriptures, the, the, the word of God that is, um, that is from the, the, the breathing out of God, the, the, um, the Holy Spirit carrying people along to write the very words of God. Um, that informs our worship um, and the Spirit's direct work in each of our lives as he regenerates us, as he conforms us to the image of Christ. Um, those things are all a part of what goes into our our right worship of God. So, yeah. Very good. So, any questions on any of that? Okay, so just to, just to recap here. Um, so we're talking about the attributes of God. That's the characteristics of God. Um, there are many, many benefits that we gain from studying who God is, uh, from our own personal holiness to our, our right worship and our, our love of God and our ability to proclaim God's excellencies to other people, um, all sorts of good reasons to to study who God is. Um, God is knowable. He's not knowable exhaustively, but he has revealed himself in great measure. Um, and so we need to go to scripture and try to learn as much as we can about who God is. And God is very precious, and we should... That should be the focus of our lives. Not that that we spend every moment of our lives doing that, but um, but you know, and I, and I you know, I confess that I sin in this way too. It's like so many things in this world distract you. Um, but knowing God should be one of the major focuses of our lives because He is so precious and so worth it. And he has been very gracious to reveal himself to us. He didn't have to do that. He could just leave us completely ignorant of him. And God is a spirit. Um, he's, um, he's invisible. He's immaterial. He's very different from us. Um, and our worship needs to be informed by the fact that, um, that that's who he is. And we can't try to make him be uh, something that he is not. And our worship of him should be very spiritual, and we should strive to make it as truthful as possible. Any thoughts, questions, comments? Okay, well that's where we're going to stop for this week, and then we'll pick up with more attributes next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are just so great and glorious and so worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration, uh, worthy of us studying and learning about you more and more. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we pray that um, as we uh, study your word um, through this study and as we go into uh, the worship service, uh, that we would just come to understand you more. 
and that our, our hearts would just burn with delight as we uh, see your face. Uh, and Lord, that, uh, that, that those experiences would change us, that we would uh, be a people that reflect your glory, a people who uh, walk in the paths that you have set for us, uh, and Lord, that we would just have great confidence uh, that uh, you will uh, guide us and sustain us, that uh, in whatever adversities we face, that you are there, that you are providing everything that we need, and that you, Lord, you are working out your good pleasure in us. And Lord, I just pray that our lives would be lives of worship. Pray these things in Christ's name.